I'm Jessica, and this is ATC Presents Debak K Rambles, where a couple of friends review Korean dramas, not Korean dramas. And I have a repeat guest with me today. I have Caitlin from At No Sleep, No Sleep for Dramas. I am very tongue tied tonight. But Caitlin, I hope you are not. And thank you so much for returning on this podcast for this chaotic rambles. Another one. How are you? How you been? I'm good. I'm good. I'm excited to talk about this drama. No kidding, bro. So <laughs> Caitlin was so gracious enough to join me on the Something in the Rain review. So if you want to go back, scroll back in your podcast feed and listen to it, you can. Caitlin was really wonderful. And a lot of people had stuff to say about the Something in the Rain episode. It's very contentious. And we really did a deep dive on that. People really appreciated all the things that we talked about, including your introduction into K-dramas and what you really like, the genres that you gravitate toward in K-drama. And when you said you like the criminal dramas, that you love the law dramas and the procedurals, I was like, ooh, good, noted. And I had that in the back of my head. And then when I was picking the dramas for season three, I was like, oh my God, I need Caitlin back for Flower of Evil. <laughs> and we're back. We're doing it. It's happening. <laughs> yes, I'm excited. I'm very excited. I'm excited. But before we get into it, housekeeping, if this is your first time listening, go ahead and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and many more. And if you like us, please give us a five-star rate and review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Also, come and check us out on social media to stay up to date on everything that we're doing, our latest episodes, our reviews. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at ATC Pod. And lastly, if you're a fan, please consider becoming a patron. It is such a great way for you to get involved and show your support and get exclusive content. You can check out the page on patreon.com slash alwayscriticpod. And thank you to our patrons, Curtis, Janet, Robin, and Bale. You guys are great. All right. We're going to get into it. I'm going to read the Asian wiki synopsis and then we're going to get Let me just going. really quickly, if you guys don't follow this on TikTok, it should. It's hilarious, just so you know. <laughs> okay. So we have... I love your TikTok accounts. <laughs> the TikTok account for ATC Devok is a mess, like a true mess. And I it's do my It's a beautiful best. mess, though. It's, it's okay, a beautiful mess. You. It's always entertaining. <laughs> I am so glad you find it entertaining. I kind of just do the videos like, well, if I was someone who liked K-dramas and this was going to pop up on my feed, what would I like to see? And it's like, I'd like to see an idiot making fun of K-dramas and the whole experience. And I'd like to see some XYZ. I just do that. And I hope that people are happy with it. And I'm so glad that you are happy with it and that I'm entertaining <laughs> you, Caitlin. I really am. It's very entertaining. It is. Yeah. Same account. Like I said, ATC Debug Pod. You can find us on Twitter. Really me on Twitter. Rico doesn't have anything to do with the socials, <laughs> but I just kind of make it seem like he's there. I feel really bad, but he uh, he's like, you take it. You run it however you want to run it. And I was like, got you. Okay. <laughs> All that being said, we're going to get into it now. Flower of Evil. Asian wiki synopsis reads, Tadiwon is a detective. She is married to Becky Sung, and they have a daughter. Becky Sung seems like a committed husband and father, but he hides his cruel past and lives under another person's identity. He deceives his wife completely. Tadiwon learns of his deception and chases his past. I gotta be honest, I almost never use the Asian wiki synopsis because of this exact reason. Because it's like <laughs> weirdly written. And then <laughs> it's like leaves off on such a weird note as well. Like, and she chases oh. his past. That's like a gross yes. understatement, but okay. 
(laughs) (laughs) All right. Flower of Evil aired originally from July to September 2020. It is 16 episodes long, and it's directed by Kim Tol-kyu, who won Best Director for Flower of Evil at the 57th Beksang Awards, which is something of note that the director won for Best Director. Um, he's done Celebrity from Netflix in 2022. I don't know. I don't know if it's come out yet, or if it's been canceled or what have you. I don't. I haven't heard anything about Celebrity. But he also directed Mother from 2018, Chicago Typewriter from 2017, and Emergency Couple from 2014, which is like a rom com kind of deal. I vividly uh-huh. remember watching Emergency Couple, and I still have Mother and Chicago Typewriter on my, you know. Endless K-drama queue that I have to get through at some point. Flower of Evil was written by Yu Jung-yi, and she's only written two dramas. It's this one and Naked Fireman from 2017. I don't know if you've ever even heard it's a of very, it. It's like a four-episode, really oh. quick <laughs> drama. It's entertaining. It's a little different, but it, it's entertaining. A little? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and Flower of Evil stars basically two people, Lee Jung-gi as Becky Song, and he, I mean, where don't you know him from? Um, I guess <laughs> right. the, the first thing that I saw him in was My Girl from 05. Did you ever get around to seeing okay. My Girl? My Girl? No, but I, I've definitely heard of it. Okay. Yeah. yeah, he's the second lead in that. I remember starting Il Dume from 08. That's an 08 drama, and that was... I couldn't get into that one, so I dropped it. Arang and the Magistrate, I watched. Scholar Who Walks Tonight, it's another historical. And then I think everyone kind of lost their shit with this one. Moon Lovers, Scarlet Hat Rio from 2016. The Year of Our Lord, 2016. I have never watched it. Really? Okay, look. I avoid sad dramas. I got spoiled heavily on this, so I'm like, I'm never, ever going to watch this drama. Oh my god, Caitlin. So... I watched this as it was airing, and I got to say, this was like the fever pitch. 2016 was full of fever pitch dramas where it was like, oh, my God, what am I going to do? I need to watch this as soon as it comes out. I have no chance. This drama also aired in the time period that I had no access to dramas. So, like, by the time I gained access again... It had already finished airing and, like, was spoiled heavily and whatever. So (laughs) I just was like, I'm not, I'm not even going to try and watch it. Yeah, I would say that was. I mean, with the death of drama fever, you can't really find it anywhere anyway. That's what I was going to say next. I was like, drama fever was the platform that I watched it on. Mm -hmm. And drama fever died not long after that. So. Yeah, Moon Lovers was a casualty. No one can find Moon Lovers anywhere nowadays. As soon as it comes back on streaming, the people are going to freak out. because I think the people who have heard of it and the hype of it is unreal at this point. It's legendary. I'm really curious to watch this Chinese drama it's based off of. Me too. I've I've never watched it, but Vicky has it. And I'm really more curious to check that one out just to see. You know what? I never press play on that. This is a huge segue because as soon as we hit Moonlight, we had to pause. (laughs) So I really want to watch that one too, the original Scarlet Heart. But as soon as I saw the thumbnail and it had, uh, it was that time in Chinese history where they were like shaving their heads, right? And they had the Mm -hmm. long braid. And I was like, I don't think I can swing that. (laughs) <laughs> I literally right, was like, right. I don't know if I can swing that. Just how some people can't swing the sagooks with like the buns and the hanbok right. and stuff. 
I look at that and yeah, I was like, some people, some people do not like watching dramas from that era. Like, yeah. if, I, I've met other people who are the same way. They cannot, yeah, for some reason, they just cannot watch dramas that are made from that era. Right. Then that's okay. I mean, not every drama is made for everybody. I agree. You know? I it's a little surprising to me because it took after a couple of them, I was like, this is great. <laughs> like, I really like the saga. It's the historical dramas, but that specific era of sea drama. St- uh, like historicals I couldn't I could never press play on those I think I watched one and I was like this was a lot <laughs> I was like I don't know what I can do anyway so that's why I've never watched the original Scarlet Heart although I really want to anyway um Lee Jung Gi is I want to say like a sex god I don't know how you feel about Lee Jung Gi but <laughs> I think as soon as Moon Lovers hit like that was it that's all he can be known for is just like <laughs> He's it's either the guy from Moon Lovers or he's just this beautiful man, Lee Jung Gi, like on another level. So there's that. The most recent thing that he was in was Again My Life in this year, 2022, Ooh. which I never watched. And then he was it also was pretty good. Okay, okay. Um, I mean, we all know Lee Jung Gi is known for his fighting. He's very good at fighting, so a lot of his dramas, especially the modern ones, has to do like incorporates the fighting into mm. it. And um again, my life was that same pattern. Like he it was he was fighting against corrupt government and using his fighting skills to get through gangsters and all that stuff. And <laughs> it was good, but the ending, in my opinion, could have been better. Ooh. Like it wasn't it kind of was a cop out, in my opinion, by the end, like because it was clearly setting up for a season two if it wanted to do one. So it wasn't bad. It was definitely entertaining. It just, in my opinion, could have been better. Um, gotcha. But I actually saw him, if I can remember the movie. I think the first time I saw him was in a movie. Ah, the King and the Clown, the King which and is the extreme. Clown. Like it's his. It's kind of the movie that put him on the map. Hmm. It was it's from like 2005, I want to say, if I remember. Yeah, 2005 according to my drama list. I did not watch it in 2005. <laughs> I was not watching dramas at that time, but I watched it like 2012, 2013. Mm, okay. And like it is very Oh God! There's a reason why he got noticed in that drama. <laughs> um, it's very well. It's it's a good movie. Um, but yeah, that's kind of the movie that everybody says put him on the map. And then Damn. I followed his career from there. I definitely have not seen everything of his though. Yeah, neither have I for sure. Um, he was in Lawless Lawyer in 2018. I think I think that uh-huh. one got some buzz. And I'd never heard that he was in this, but Criminal Minds from 2017. I don't know yeah. what I I wanted to watch that again. It was one that I didn't gain access to until much later. Actually, Muche Mu, Mu Oh my god, I yes. never remember her her first name. Muche Wan. Uh Muche Wan, yes. Uh was in that. Yeah, yeah. They started so, it together. Like because Flower Evil was the second drama yes. they did together. Um but yeah, I I mean I love the American Criminal Minds, right. so I was very curious to see how this was. I did not watch it. I ha- I still have not watched it. Okay, um, fair. Because I heard it was mm, meh. Oh, oh, like no. it wasn't in terms of the acting, it was good, but like the story was not that good. <sighs> okay, well that's I don't know if that's something that this 
Flowerville has in common, but okay. Um, his co-star, <laughs> his co-star in Flowerville is Muntewan, like we just mentioned. She plays Cha Duan. And she's been in about five movies, including Mood of the Day from 2016, which I really enjoyed, and War of the Arrows, which I still have on my watch list. I have wanted to watch War of the Arrows forever. I don't know why I haven't pressed play, but here we are, 2022, still haven't watched War of the, Air- the Arrows. Um, she's been in quite a bit of TV. I watched her first, and I remember her in this. She was in Brilliant Legacy from 09. And that's with uh, Han Hyoju. And uh, Isungi, you know, Isungi is currently in Law Cafe. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So that's brilliant legacy. Uh, she was in My Fair Lady, Princess's Man, which is one of the best historical Oh, dramas. I know that show by a different name. Oh, okay. okay. I'm like, brilliant legacy. It's, what it is It must that? be. Um, it's like Shining Inheritance. Yes, Shining yes, Inheritance. I have not watched that, but that's the that's the title I know that okay, by. So okay, okay. I was like, what is that drama? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's also but called yeah. Shining Inheritance. So I highly recommend mm-hmm. Shining Inheritance slash Brilliant Legacy from 09. I highly recommend The Princess's Man from 2011, which is one of the best sagas I've ever watched in my life. I've watched it twice. So good. Uh, she was an innocent man from 2012 with Lee Jung-gi. Lee Jung-ki, I think. And that one was, I mean, wild. Uh, good Doctor from 2013. Like we said, Criminal Minds from 2017. And she was in Mama Fairy and the Woodcutter from 2018. I feel like I heard of that one, but I never got around to watching Mama it. Mama Fairy was an interesting drama. Really? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Innocent Man was the one with Song Jun Ki. That yes. Yeah, that was that one. That, that was, was my first drama with her. Okay, okay. I actually want to rewatch that at some point because I don't so remember do I. a lot of it. I don't remember. Um, I just remember it being like really dramatic. You know what I'm saying? Yes. I remember it being very dramatic. Super dramatic. And I definitely remember some of the dramatic scenes, but overall I don't remember a lot of it. Yeah. Um But the one that I really like, I did watch uh Moon Mama Fairy. <laughs> okay. I also watched The Good Doctor. So, like, yeah. The Innocent Man was my first one. The Good Doctor, I watched. And then I watched Mama Fairy. But I primarily watched Mama Fairy for the two other stars in it. <laughs> okay. Um, like, I like I like her a lot, but I like the male leads. But it, the funny thing is, is, like, they have worked together before this drama. So, this was, like, or either that or, like, they were did another drama after that. I don't know. These leads have worked together as two male leads in multiple dramas together. Oh. But what was interesting about that one is you didn't know who she would end up with, and it kind of did a twist on it. Oh. Um, which was entertaining. And I liked because I was rooting for the one she chose. So right. I was oh. very I was very uh yes, yes, I got you. type of thing. Yeah. But yeah. It was eccentric. It was out there. It was a little like weird, <laughs> but it was entertaining. It was okay. fine. Got you. I don't know if I'll ever watch it. To be quite honest with you, um, I think I'd rather watch. It has a tiger in it. A t- what? Well, a wait, a it real a tiger tig- or a CGI tiger? It has like a CGI tiger and modern soul in multiple scenes. I, um, <laughs> that's not selling it for me. I would rather you tell me like there was a really controversial real tiger in it. I'll be like, hell yeah, I'm going to watch that no. so, so fast. No. no. Um, the One of the male leads rides the tiger when he's drunk. <laughs> that's, that's, right. the, that's the idea. Say less. 
Salem. <laughs> That's how eccentric this drama was. Oh it God. was interesting. <laughs> okay. So we're on the other side of their filmography. Um, Caitlin, I will tell you that um, I'm going to have to lean on you a lot for this for this review because I watched this okay. in the, like completely out of order. What ha- happened was almost... I want to say maybe eight months ago, maybe even nine months ago, I started watching Flower Review with the intention of watching it for the podcast for season two of the podcast, not season three. So I was watching a long time ago. I got to like episode 10 or 11 around there. I almost finished the show, very close to finishing, right? And then I realized, oh, like Rico can't do season two. So like, what am I going to do? I should like rearrange this. And pick like slightly different dramas and like figure out a new thing. And I dropped Flower of Evil like nine months ago at episode 10 or 11. I hadn't taken any <laughs> notes on it whatsoever. Did not know like what was happening in the show. So when I picked it up again this week, I picked it up again and I was like, oh, yeah, I'll just go back to like where I was in the show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's not possible. Not possible. <laughs> I literally started the episode around like episode nine or 10. I was like, let me just go back one episode or so. I was like, I can't do this. I got to go back a further episode. So I started episode eight, halfway through the show, and I was still lost, super <laughs> lost. So I had to go to Drama Beans and read yeah. what I had missed. I was taking notes and it was taking me so long to read the synopses because I was lacking so much comprehension i was like who are these characters i didn't have like a frame of reference for like what they were doing and then i was like oh right right right, right. that's what happened so then it would click and i would move on to the next episode synopsis and it went like that for 11 synopses (laughs) and then i I picked up where i left off in the show and let me tell you i will never be doing that again it zero (laughs) out of ten would i recommend doing that I have such a bad memory. I can't uh, do that for dramas. It's just such a disservice. So that's why I say I'm going to be leaning on you a lot because you love this show. And Mm -hmm. you can bridge some gaps, I think. Because I might come in a little hotter than even I anticipated. So, uh, Caitlin, why don't you... And I watched this as it aired. So I was watching it. Yeah, In 2020. So tell me what you thought of Flower of Evil. I loved it. Overall, I do have some qualms with the last episode, like 15 going into 16. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember being somewhat more irked with the decisions made in both those episodes versus like the K3. Because I remember like texting Jen from the K3, which is the YouTube <laughs> channel that I also write for. Yeah, and yeah. I was like, why the heck did they do this? It's episode 16. And she's like, I love it. I'm like, okay. But like by the <laughs> end of episode 16, I appreciated the decisions made. Mm, yeah. But at the beginning, I was like, why? Why do this? Why? Mm-hmm. Um, but I loved it. I liked uh, the flow. I liked how... Like, the secrets, how they were revealed. I liked how, like, as an audience member, you didn't really understand what was going on. Because, I mean, I I personally like when crime dramas are, like, are unpredictable. Mm, That, like, me as an audience member can't figure out the 
uh, the murderer or right. the, solve the crime before the characters are. Because that has happened to me, where I know who <laughs> it is, like, episode eight of 16, and then I'm bored. <laughs> right. And, like, yelling at the cops on screen saying, it's him, or, <laughs> like, test this thing, like, this will give you the clue, blah, 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 blah. So... I, I appreciate when dramas are unpredictable, and this one definitely was. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Very, very nice. I agree to a certain extent. I think that when I was first watching Flower of Evil, I'm going to dredge up my original feelings. It was like a very easy watch for me, which was, I guess mm-hmm. why I never took a single note <laughs> when I originally <laughs> watched it. I was like, oh, yeah, I don't need to take notes on this. Um, I think I was kind of ups- not upset, but just... There was a reveal that happened kind of early on about Mm -hmm. a character. And then you're just kind of floating along like, okay, they made this reveal real early and there's less stakes all of a sudden. I think the show was still operating under the assumption that they had stakes. High stakes were happening. And I was like, Mm -hmm. no, I don't don't really feel any high stakes. And (laughs) I feel bad in saying that because towards the end of the show, they gained the stakes back. And Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you start feeling that unpredictability, that chaos that you were praising. You were like, oh, yeah, I don't want to know, like, what's going to happen next. I want to be kept on my toes. And I agree with you, especially for this kind of drama where it's a criminal drama. I was very (laughs) taken aback by the approach in the final episodes, the final episode, you could say. Mm -hmm. And I was like... Oh, this feels very 2005. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. And the funny thing is, I'm usually a fan of that type of trope used. Like, I love that trope. You do? But I do. I love it. We can do that. We can talk about later in spoilers. I'm a sucker for that type of trope. I'm a sucker for it. That's why I love mock junks. (laughs) Oh, that's right. um, I did not like it here when it first happened because I thought it was a cop out. In this specific instance, I thought they used it as a cop out. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Also, just before we move on to like stuff, but because we're still kind of on the cast, I actually watched this drama for Kim Ji Hoon. Really? Like when I saw that he joined the cast, that was what made me interested in this. I probably would still have watched it even if he. Didn't join. Okay. But I was very curious to see, because at at the time when they revealed him as a cast, they didn't tell us much. Like, they just said he's in the cast. They didn't say what he was. Look, even if you go to the Asian wiki right now and look at the cast list Mm -hmm. for Flower of Evil, Kim Dune is way down there. They do not say who his character is. They're just like, oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember my drama list, like, didn't even have him. Like, they had him as a guest like for the longest time (laughs) until they started like airing it and realizing because i mean obviously most of those websites are like community based so people didn't know because the information wasn't out there type Mm -hmm. thing um but (laughs) before this drama i think he had not been in a drama in a while yeah he's in a long time right and i was curious to see what he one i was curious because i hadn't seen him in a drama in a really long time and i wanted to because i'm a very big fan of his but i also was curious what he would do in this type of role Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. i hadn't seen him even in 
a crime drama before. I think the last time I've seen him like somewhat in a crime drama, I I never have not seen this drama, but it's on my list. Is it was like Bad Thief, Good Thief from like 2016, oh, 2017. Right. Yeah, I um, heard of that. And one. I think he was a lawyer or a cop in that one. I don't think he. I don't remember what the synopsis says his character was, but I like. I think I was intrigued also because the drama didn't give us anything. Like, they didn't say who he was. So I was like, okay, well, one, I already know I'm watching this because of the two main leads. Right. But I also am really curious what his role is because, Mm -hmm. one, they, like, they also announced it, if I remember correctly, very late. It was, they had already announced the two leads, and then all of a sudden they're like, oh, yeah, he's joining it, too. And I'm like, oh, okay, all right, Mm -hmm. well, I like him. So I'm going to yeah. watch this drama. He's kind of the Kevin Spacey <laughs> of it all. Um, and I mean that in the best <laughs> way possible, not in the worst way, because Kevin Spacey takes on a whole new meeting now in 2022. But right. back in the day, he was like the pinch hitter for a lot of thriller movies, considering he was the pinch hitter and secret cast member of Seven. And it was mm-hmm. the same way for, uh, oh my God, what's that? The Usual Suspects. Where right. he mm-hmm. was like a main player, but then, you know, obviously there's a twist at the end of The Usual Suspects. And Kevin Spacey, like, you would never think that Kim Dune would give off the, a Kevin Spacey vibe. No. But um, we could talk about it later on in spoilers. Uh, he did fantastic. He was fantastic. Oh, he after- was my favorite. He was he was definitely like a highlight of mm-hmm. this drama mm-hmm. for me. Yeah, I, I also love the fact because people noticed him, too. Like this was his this is this drama was an introduction for a lot of people to him, which always makes me happy when actors I'm a fan of or actresses I'm a fan of and know going into dramas where other people might not know them because I don't know, they have never been in a lead role and this is their first lead role mm-hmm. or they're just a memorable supporting character and they want to see like um oh my god, I'm blanking on his name. <laughs> The lawyer from uh, extraordinary, extraordinary attorney, the the boss guy. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I feel like his last name is Kong. Yeah, but mm-hmm. he's been in. He I mean he's one of those supporting characters that have been in every. He's a that guy. You're like, and, oh, it's that yeah. guy from that drama, and you never right. remember his and name. He got a lot of hype with that, and like people were like, oh man, like I know he's been in a lot of dramas, but I've never really knows Sammy got a lot more traction with that and I always liked that when it happens. Kong Kong Ki Young. Kong Ki Young, yeah. Yeah. I loved him before Extraordinary Woo, Attorney Woo. <laughs> yeah. I but I, I like when I, that type of thing happens. And I think Flower Evil, this was kind of yeah. Kim Ji Hoon's This was Extraordinary the Attorney Woo's yeah. yeah. Ji Hoon's for him. I think a lot of people I just remember on Twitter, a lot of people like, who is this guy? This guy is insane. And I was showing like, I was like posting pictures of him, like really buff. Oh my God. Like, a so model that's the- and all that stuff. <sighs> he is and, fit. Yeah. He is super fit. Oh and yeah. He's fit. And yeah. I think he's shirtless And I think also the long hair, also the, the long lo- hair helps. Girl, we can talk <laughs> about him. It. And he still has the long hair. He I'm does. an Instagram follower. He still has it. I mean, he had it in Money Heist too. Money today, Heist like was this his, year, but. Yes, he played Denver yeah. in Money Heist and yeah. Korea Joint Economic Area, whatever. Yeah. 
So, but anyway, Mr. I liked I liked this drama because of him as well. Okay. Like he was a major factor of me watching this drama. As Interesting, well, and I'm glad you're not gatekeeping um, Kim Doon either because no. I tend to be like a gatekeeper <laughs> of people. I'm like, oh yeah, I've known that guy for years, not personally, but just in these dramas. There's too many at this point. There's too many. I can't really gatekeep anybody because right. it's like it's like. <laughs> I've known this person from 2009, 2010, and people right. are just discovering him now. Yeah. What, what can I do? Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What did you think of, I guess we should go to our main guy, Lee Jun Gi, his performance mm-hmm. and his journey throughout the course of the show, because I feel like he goes through a roller coaster just in terms internal and external. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I was really... I don't know if I was blown away by his performance necessarily. I think it was good, but was it the best that I've ever seen of him? I kind of feel like the Moon Lovers kind of clinched that for me because that one was another emotional, crazy roller coaster and infamous ending. Mm -hmm. But in this one, I don't know. I have on the fence about it. Okay. Yeah. Um. I mean, I, since I have not seen Moon Lovers, I mean, I've seen enough where I like know his acting, but mm-hmm. I think I enjoyed his acting in this a lot. I think for me, it was different. Mm-hmm. I think before that, I had seen him in like Lawless Lawyer, Lawyer and like these types of roles where, again, he shows off his fighting skill and doesn't really... It's kind of like his character can only be so much when you're like a fighting person. And so I think Flower of Evil kind of showed his other, his range Mm. that he could do in terms of being like, is he potentially an evil character? Mm -hmm. Is he Mm -hmm. not? And him being able to play around with Mm -hmm. that, uh, being a family man and showing off that side of him and that character. Um, I think, I think what I loved about this was like, on one hand, the character was like cold and not emotional and kind of distant. Mm -hmm. But then he also like a really creepy distant type of way and then he also was like the loving father and but i think what he did so well was like even when he was playing like the loving father and doting husband part of his character it still somewhat came off as creepy sometimes because you (laughs) never really knew if he was actually the bad guy or if he was a killer or if he like was going crazy mm-hmm. like you did mm-hmm. not know right and i think i had never seen him do that type of character and i think that expanded his range and showed people what more than he could do because mm-hmm. i mean i think what it comes down to is i have not seen a lot of his movies he might have shown this some more in movie roles but in terms of dramas that i've seen of him it was all like Fighting, kick ass, bring down the patriarchy, bring down everything like yeah, that. So I like the been... fact that this was more round, a rounded uh-huh. character for him. Yeah, he's definitely been Ildeme for almost his entire career. Ildeme is basically like a not not Peter Pan, Robin Hood, like a Robin Hood kind of character. Yeah. And he's very cocky and 
confident and like you said, a fighter. He's got yeah. this persona like about that him. scene where he was show like staring at himself in the mirror and like had those cards of this is what happy looks like. This that was creepy. Like I thought he did that very well. So here's my thing about it is that he is I want to say what mid 30s, late 30s, I think in the show. I th- he's supposed to be in playing. the show. Like the er- the character is 40. I mean the the actor is he's 40. Yeah. But so he's playing yeah, like I a think late he's 30s mid- almost 40. Yeah, I think he's in the show. Yeah, I think he's around the same age in and terms of character. He I don't think this is much of a spoiler, but he's been married for 10 years, I think. Yeah, and I, think so. I, it's not that he's watching, he's no, <laughs> how do I put this? It's not that he's watching these videos of how to express emotions, is that he's doing it still to this day after 10 years of marriage, still studying emotions. It just feels really belated. Like, why would he still be doing this? He hasn't had this lesson before. Is this a refresher on how to be sad or how to be happy? So that was like my nitpick, I guess, is that I was like, okay, Mm -hmm. cool. He's very creepy here. But plot, like timeline wise, this doesn't make sense to me. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. He's been married and under this playing this charade for like over a decade and now he's looking up how to look how to be happy how to look happy in front of her so that didn't click for me but i will say that i i felt this more on first watch when i was watching it nine months ago but he does a good job of playing creepy and he does a good job of being an unreliable narrator which it's not that he's literally voiceover narrating the show, but he is the protagonist. And you kind of believe, you you want to believe in this dude, the whole show. And when he does things that are kind of creepy or, you know, I don't think I can get behind that. He just did X, Y, Z. You are put in a position like, do I still support this dude? Even if all of a sudden I think he's a murderer or whatever. So I think it's kind of challenging the audience a lot of the time for <clears throat> their own perception. Like, why why are you rooting for this guy? He's uh, very shady. He's doing this. He doesn't know how to be happy. He doesn't know how to express sadness. He's faking it or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I think it is kind of p- playing up the audience sympathies and especially for this actor who is quite beloved at this point, you know, four years removed from Moon Lovers, people want to see Ijungi and they want to root for him. And they yeah. have this really interesting, beefy character that he's sinking his teeth into. And again, very unreliable. You don't know who to trust. And I think that kind of brings me to Muncha One's character. <clears throat> I really like her, usually. I think when I was watching it nine months ago, I didn't think that she was annoying. Now when I finished the show, I was like, man, she was kind of annoying. What did you think of Muncha <laughs> One? Um, again, I had not seen her in a lot before this, so this was a different character for me because, again, before, the only thing I really had seen her in was that 
uh, tiger one I was just <laughs> describing. I can't remember what it's called. Now. Mama Fairy uh, and the Woodcutter. Yeah, Mama Fairy. That was really like that was the that was the drama that was kind of fresh in my mind for that. So again, I appreciated the fact that this was a different character that I had never seen her in. I appreciated that it was it, it was a character that seemed to meld well with Yi Junki. Mm-hmm. I think they had very good chemistry and played off well. I will say though the I think why like I thought the writers sort of did it in her perspective in mm-hmm. terms of making Lee Junki like the audience what you were just saying like the audience not really trusting the guy not knowing I f- remember thinking oh they're kind of writing it from her perspective like uh-huh. she doesn't know to help, whether to trust him she's starting to notice his facade mm-hmm. crumble a little bit that type of thing whereas the audience are noticing the same thing mm-hmm. um I don't remember that I found her annoying. <laughs> um, I kind of like I I like that she was like um like a badass cop, but I'm also very partial for female cops. Yeah. <laughs> like I like yeah. I love when female cops um and I also think I liked her in terms of she was a she was a wife, she was a mother. She kind of had it all and could do it all. Yeah, she's super um, mom. Yeah, super mom. And I liked seeing the turmoil within herself mm. of like her realizing that the crime she's investigating her husband could potentially have been the the criminal mm-hmm. and her having to deal with those emotions and trying to figure out what to do next. I thought that was a very interesting uh, dilemma to have mm-hmm. and to try to figure out. Um, I agree. I could see why you thought she was annoying. I mean, I mean, I wouldn't say. I think I did find her annoying in some certain scenes and some, like especially if like her reaction to something. But I think <laughs> overall, I didn't end up finding her annoying. I think it had to do with towards the later episodes. She's crying a lot, and she doesn't. <laughs> she is. I think I have an issue when people, (laughs) this is very specific, but you have these beautiful people and they start crying and they look great crying. Fine. She looks like she's not even crying. (laughs) She cries (laughs) without moving her face. And it's kind of like, (laughs) I I don't know how many actors can do this where they just cry with like a straight face. And she (laughs) is one of those actresses that can just like a lot of tears, a lot of waterworks. She's not moving a muscle. She looks very <laughs> angelic and serene. And that sort of thing really bothers me. <laughs> it is such a niche thing. I I don't know if anyone else if anybody else feels this way, but maybe that's why I found Muncha one a little bit annoying towards the end. But I agree with you that she had a wonderful, very entertaining journey and that she was acting very well through this internal struggle and questioning everything herself, her life, her husband, her job, her coworkers, everything is up for debate. Everything is being uh, stress tested in her life. And it is quite interesting to see where they come out on. 
towards the mm-hmm. later episodes and what she resolves within herself and in the relationship with Ijunki's character. Um, I think the show had a lot to do with what is the role that DNA plays on mental illness and disorders and what is identity? Can you rise above pain and trauma and family legacy? What is your true self? Like, how do you find your true self? And, Mm -hmm. you know, how do you stay true to yourself in the midst of all of this pain and things that are out of your control Uh, so many characters were asking towards the end why is this i don't understand why this is happening to me and i feel like every one of us has a moment in our lives where we say the same thing like i didn't do anything for this to happen to me so why is this happening to me and these kind of questions are really profound even if the the flower of evil plot is extremely grandiose and very Mm -hmm. complicated and k-drama-y it's intense. Yes. But at the end of the day, I feel like these are just people and they're going through extraordinary things and you feel you feel for them and you feel you just empathize with them a lot, especially towards the end when they're feeling sorry for themselves and they're asking those questions like why is this I don't understand. Why is this happening to me? Mm-hmm. Um and I feel like these are all really important things to discuss and talk about and have these themes crop up in a K-drama that is really um, kind of a melodrama. I kind of didn't find it so much a criminal drama as much as it was like a traditional K-drama melodrama. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I mean, a huge part of this drama was about their relationship and how they were going to weather this humongous conflict between the two of them, essentially. Yeah. Uh, and what was going to play out. I mean, yes, it was a crime drama, but yes, I totally agree. It was a very much of a melodrama, somewhat romantic drama at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, last thing I want to mention is like, what did you think of the kid, their, their child? I thought she was actor. adorable. I is thought she, she was adorable. Isn't she the cutest thing you've ever seen? Yes. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, Lee Jung Gi with a child actor mm-hmm. and bouncing off a who is supposed to be his daughter in the drama is probably the most adorable thing. Like you're just like my ovaries are gonna explode, that kind of thing. Like I didn't know <laughs> I needed this, but apparently I do need this, <laughs> and it is really something to see. I think that more dramas should employ child actors and. You know, we've had some good ones on the show um, yeah. that we've covered for Debak, like uh, Pilgu from When the Camellia Blooms is like a really good child actor. You're like, oh, my God, I love this kid. I feel so bad for him. And just like in the grand tradition of like wonderful child actors in K-dramas, uh, this little girl did really well as, as well. I think she was a good addition. Yeah. And a whole new like level to their relationship as well that I almost feel like towards the end, she's kind of taken out of the equation. She is. Mm -hmm. And we can talk about that some more, but in the spoiler section, but I'm going to go ahead and ask you, what would you rate flower of evil out of five soldier bottles? Um, I would say four, four and a half. Okay. Wow. Because again, the end of 15 start of 16, reel me through me for a loop and like really <laughs> affected my watching but 
I grew used to it by the end of the show, but I think that really affected my rating for this drama. Hmm. So I would okay. say four, four and a half. Yeah. I, I think I would give it a three and a half, maybe four on a good day. I am still really close to the drama. I'm not that far removed from it. Maybe in a week it'll be three. Maybe in a week it'll be four and a <laughs> half. I don't know. But right now I'm just kind of sitting in the middle. It was entertaining for sure. Was it, Would I watch it again? I don't think so. Mm, okay. And that I think affects my rating a lot is rewatchability, even though like I don't know why I even think that way because I don't end up watching – Rewatching K dramas almost ever. Like I early, don't either. Earlier, was I, I, I first think watching I can count on. I think I can count on one hand how many dramas I yes. rewatched. Same. I yeah. used to rewatch K dramas early when I was early in my K drama career. Now I don't do it ever. I just move on to the next K drama. <laughs> so I feel bad <laughs> basing a lot of my score on rewatchability. But there it is. Anyway, I think we're gonna get started on the spoilers so stick around if you've watched flower of evil we're going to do spoilers right after this hey you want to come in all right we're on the other side of spoilers so caitlin where do you want to start for spoilers i think you kept alluding to like episode 15 16 and the ending (laughs) so i don't mind starting at the end and like kind of working our way back through the drama um, what had happened was in episode 15, we get head trauma, he gets shot. Mm-hmm. And Ijungi's character has amnesia. Yes. That he basically wakes up after a month of being in a coma, and he is in a frame of mind in 2005. He thinks it's 2005. He has no recollection of the f- past 15 years, has no recollection of Moon Won's character, his wife, his daughter, none of the drama that they just went through with the serial killers and the accomplice and the father and all this stuff. So yes. I, <laughs> what do I even say to that? Um, it was 2005, like I said, before the spo- we broke for spoilers. Um, did I think they were going to do amnesia in the show? No, if you had they interviewed me not. at the end of episode 14, I would be like, what do you mean they're going to do amnesia? They would never do that. Um, no, they no. did it. And they stuck to, they stuck it. Like, they kept mm-hmm. with it. It wasn't like, oh, he's, I don't, I don't even know. Like, like he's faking it he's or faking something. It. Yeah. Yes, because yeah. he can fake so many things. He did not fake his amnesia. Right. It was right. real. Um, what did you think of it? Where where did you land at the end? You said you kind of were in a place of acceptance in yeah. the final sequence. I was so mad when it happened. <laughs> I like remember vividly being like, oh, come on, show. I literally said that. Because I, I mean, and I usually, as I said earlier, I usually love this trope. I right. love when they stick amnesia into dramas. Mm-hmm. I find it either hilarious or I'm like, yes, more amnesia. Like, I love right. Mock Jongs where there's like six characters that have amnesia in the 100 episodes. <laughs> like, I usually love it, but I remember absolutely hating this decision mm-hmm. to put this in here. Because I think, I don't know if I would have had an issue with it if it happened earlier, like episode 13 or 14, but I think I was a little angry because it happened going into episode 16. Uh-huh. So I was like, how are they going to end this drama when he has amnesia? Like, right. 
is he just going to have amnesia and that's going to be the end? Like, <laughs> I just didn't, I didn't understand. So I think what I really was mad about was like the placement of the amnesia. Mm, okay. And like, because I felt like, well, it's a cop out. They don't know what else to do because they've kind of wrapped up everything to an mm, extent. Right. By the end of 15. And so instead of showing this happy family, they're mm-hmm. going to put one last twist into it and whatever. <laughs> so yeah. I remember hating that decision. But then I, by the end, like, we did get that reunion, like the really cute uh, scene where he was at his daughter's school. Oh, and- oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so <laughs> I'll jump in here. I thought that it was... I was stunned and then I thought it was extremely cheap of them to have him Mm -hmm. have amnesia. And then they kept saying, reiterating his diagnosis was perfectly normal. He should be healed up. He should be awake by now. He shouldn't be in a coma and all this stuff. He wakes up 15 years gone for some reason. There was no sign of brain trauma, no sign that he would have amnesia, no reason for it. He just woke up 15 years in the past. And... Uh, I think a lot of what's so, if you can say that the amnesia was sold to me, it was that a lot of characters were saying that they couldn't quite wrap their head around his personality now and how it seemed like he was a different but the same kind of a meshing between his old, old personality. And when I say old, old, I just mean his teenage personality right, and then right. who he came to be towards the end of the fiasco is all I can say because he was right. very emotional, manic, you could almost say, and in love with his wife, like ultimately accepted that he had feelings for his wife, was deeply in love with her and wanted to fix the situation and come out on top. Um, now he's kind of devoid of all the feelings for, toward his wife, but is still kind of r- back in those old rhythms of antisocial personality disorder personality disorder right which is very common in k-drama that's also a very common k-drama trope to have a character that's has a disorder i think it just i think what what irked me too was like they kind of just reset the whole story again Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. they reset him back to the beginning and him trying to figure out like right what are his feelings? Who he was, yeah. what his emotions were now, dealing with everything being revealed yet again. <laughs> like, and granted, it wasn't like the things being revealed going at the beginning of drama were not the same things being revealed now. But mm-hmm. like, I just thought it, it just, I didn't think that was needed. Mm-hmm. I didn't think that was like, yeah. it would be different if it was like, uh, episode 13 or 14 and he had to like rediscover his love again but it's like it's episode 16 you have like 45 <laughs> 50 minutes to do that like are you serious right right i mean yeah, he I, yeah you know there's a moment where they had this conversation in the car between the both of them husband and wife mm-hmm. and he's telling her about the how he knows how to cook dishes he's never eaten before and how he's got all this talent for metalworking that comes out and he doesn't know like where the talent kind of came from, where this experience came from. He doesn't remember doing all of this stuff. And he admits that he's this master manipulator and he knows what she wants to hear, even though he doesn't really know her. And it's 
kind of interesting to see him work his magic. I kind of wanted him to say that he's still faking it. But at the end, he wasn't like faking the crying in the car, the waterworks, this whole like emotional right. display. Like that was real. Right. And and he, I think that's what made like this whole concept of him relearning his emotions too. When I going back to this was a more well rounded role for Yi Jun Gi to play. Mm-hmm. Like I don't remember any of his previous roles. Like he, yeah, he cried in previous roles and whatever. <laughs> but like right. being this emotional and this distraught and this kind of manic mm-hmm. in certain scenes overall. I had never seen him act like mm. that before. So right. I think that was another reason why I loved his performance in yeah. this drama. Well, um, I did like that yeah. scene. And especially because you're talking about he didn't go. He doesn't remember this 15 year journey, mm-hmm. this emotional journey that he's been on. And he doesn't have the memories to back this up. So, you know, he was saying whatever love or feelings that he has, he doesn't know how long they'll last because he's not who he used to be. And I like this uh, analogy that he gave is that he feels like they're shackled and running in circles and that she's just chasing him this entire time. Uh-huh. And I have in my notes so much crying. I <laughs> He cried a lot. In he the last cried a lot. And she they cries too. <laughs> they all did. Like the last couple of episodes were just... I mean, chewing up scenery. They were really just crying all the time. And I like that he is, um, I don't know if they gave it enough time, but, you know, he's saying that he doesn't know why he feels a certain way and he doesn't know how to label things. And he comes home and the journalist, Minsu, confronts him about the excessive amount of egg tarts that are in the fridge. And he's just like, I can't help but buying them. Every time I see the egg tarts, I have to buy them. He has no idea that, it's because of his daughter that he would always buy his daughter egg tarts. That was her thing. So it's right. very sad and kind of manufactured, I think is what I want to say. It's mm. kind of like the end of a Pixar movie where you're just like, oh, my God, assaulted by feelings. And because of the amnesia and the further journey that he has to go on, it feels very manipulative <laughs> and not mm. in an earned way. Because had they had this sort of like moment of catharsis when he was himself after all of this struggle and strife that they had been through and he maybe he wakes up from his coma and he's like ready to kind of talk it out with his wife and restart their relationship instead of literally restarting their entire relationship because of the amnesia. That would be a different story. But instead, they have him just kind of stumbling around his feelings and it's it's annoying because you have these emotional touch points like the egg tart you have the the rings that he can't seem to take off his wedding ring because he feels um incomplete without it and that he says he keeps hurting himself while he's metalworking if he doesn't have the ring on so it's like he has these tokens but he doesn't know what they mean and it's kind of just very 2005 K drama. <laughs> like, what can I say? <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So I found that annoying, but also like good in a kind of shallow way. It was good. The final sequence of him going to the house, because of course she's putting it up for sale. She's going to move away to Busan. And he's like reading the notes 
these notebooks of just notes on her. Like she mm-hmm. loves the rain. She has. She doesn't like uh, this. She <laughs> loves moths. Uh, she loves butterflies, but hates moths. Like things like that were written right. in these journals. That mm-hmm. you know he's kind of more attached to now. He's reading it, and she's like, "You can't have that because you know it's about me, and you don't want anything to do with me." Evidently, and you know she tells him he's she's moving away. He's like, why would you leave when I'm finally taking my first step toward you? And again, like, how did he come to that conclusion? Like, I don't know if it was just he can't he can't live without her. He just has they have to learn to love each other all over again. Like what? I don't know. I don't know. I, they go to the well, school. Well, I think that was the thing. I think the cat that was the I think he couldn't figure out who he really wanted to be or who he was and what he had dealt with, not only within the last 15 years that he lost, but within the last year or so, however long the drama mm-hmm. actually takes place, without her being there. Like, she was a very big reason on helping him find his memories again, find whether that was good or bad. And so... He needed yeah. her there. He needed right. some type of anchor, mm-hmm. and that she had, she was the anchor. Yeah, that's a great point. Part. That she was this uh, steady presence in his life for fifteen years, and she basically taught yeah. him everything that he needed to know about emotions in life and living to the fullest and appreciating the little things in life. And um. I, I kind of think I, you're right that he kind of just goes back to her and he's like, I think I need you. I think I'm, I'm curious now about that guy that is missing, like the guy that I used to be. I We should find him together, I think is what he tells her, which right. is a nice thought. Um, I don't know. I'm still like really upset, I guess, about the amnesia. <laughs> Again, that was not it was not my favorite decision either. I just I. It was a cop-out. It was something that the writers... In my opinion, it was something that the writers basically did not know what to do with episode 16. So they wanted to create Mm -hmm. one final twist in order to... Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. I know. Like, keep people, I guess, keep people invested, even though it was the last episode. Right. Yeah, I did not... (sighs) I also did not like the decision, but... yeah. He's, yeah. All right. Well, we might come back, circle back to the ending, but I feel like we kind of talked about the amnesia enough. Um, (laughs) Episode one was a good episode because it ends with him kidnapping the journalist, Mujin. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Which is when people were like, oh my God, what? (laughs) Lee Jung-gi is a kidnapper and he's very creepy and he's got the serial killer plastic on the ground and he's saying really creepy things and mm-hmm. you're just like oh my god what does he have to do with the serial killer case and yondu and it's just very sus like he's just so sus in episode one yeah but episode one mm-hmm. also has these moments between him and his wife where you're like oh my god they're so in love yeah. and that's something else mm-hmm. that i don't think i don't think we should just gloss over is that that utopia that he built for their family is 
just that, like a utopia, you kind of get the sense that something's wrong, even though you see that everything is right. And, you know, they're seen making out and having sex in the morning, things like that. The coworkers that she comes in contact with that day are like, you guys are still in the honeymoon period and it's been like 10 years since you've been married. Isn't that crazy? That's so weird. And she's like, ha ha ha, is my life great? And you're like, girl, <laughs> what? Is- <laughs> There's something wrong here because after 10 years of marriage, a lot of stuff is going to start to fade and sort of that high of the honeymoon period should be well and worn by now. And so I think that it's kind of interesting from a K-drama perspective to see a 10-year marriage and see it going really well and realize that it's not right (laughs) because usually K-dramas end at the marriage, like when they – at the wedding, they start their life together officially and you don't see this 10 years down the line or 15 Mm -hmm. years down the line what the couple looks like and here we see them – 10 years in and all hell's about to break loose in their lives. So I think it is a little bit kind of subverting expectations. And then throughout the show, we see flashbacks of their courtship and really her kind of chasing him and Mm -hmm. being very proactive about her feelings and kind of confronting him about his feelings a lot of the time. She's the one that I think confesses to him. It's about gender reversals for a lot of the tropes in K-drama. So very interesting writing, especially for their relationship, I would say. Right. And I think also it's like if – so going back to the example of him looking in the mirror and – practicing like i imagined he had been doing that for 10 years to keep up the facade to keep up this gotcha happy marriage like he Mm -hmm. had to work and he had to work for 10 years to keep that up i like that so i think as you said like it's it's creepy in a way because it's so perfect and that's kind of that's kind of of his doing Mm -hmm. like he wanted to make it as perfect as possible so his wife who's a cop could not (laughs) see yeah potentially what could like between the lines Mm -hmm. like she had no idea if there was something there or not um so when it starts to crumble when she starts to investigate this case Mm -hmm. There's only so much like you can do and how long you can keep that up. And I think Mm -hmm. that's why it started 10 years into their marriage, because something was going to break at some point. And that (laughs) was just the catalyst. But that 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 brought on a sense of creepiness for the entire show, because, again, he had to keep that up for 10 years. Mm, Right. Um, The kids. So let's talk about the. I guess, portrayal of antisocial personality disorder, especially when it pertains to his childhood and the flashbacks that we see of him Uh in his hometown and how the townspeople thought he was possessed because they just had no frame of reference for his condition. Also, the kid that played him, the the actor, looked... I remember the first time seeing him on screen, (laughs) I was like... Is that him? Like, I, he looks so much like him at a younger age. Yeah, he has very angular features, just like Eugene yes. Gee. 
And yeah, that kid looked very similar to Ejinji. Mm-hmm. I will admit that. Yeah. They find such sometimes they find such good casting with the younger and older right counterparts in these I agree. Things. I agree. Yeah. Yeah, so this uh this town was awful. Just yes. straight up terrible. They were like kidnapping him to do exorcisms yeah. on him every few days or something. It yeah. was absolutely wild. And I think <laughs> I could be wrong. I could be reading too much into this, but this could be almost the writer and the showrunners kind of calling Korean society like backwoods, like stone age level thinking and like really out of touch and you know all these negative things i feel like they were trying to portray them as really ignorant toward mental illness and mental disorders Mm -hmm. i i think you i think you get a sense of that i mean we've seen that in other dramas oh yeah absolutely we've seen that thing where if anything seems to be off about somebody, whether female, male, they're kind of shunned from a society. In some terms, they did exactly what they did to Yujungi's character, yeah. where they bring in an exorcist. It, like, we see that even in in America, like in some like people find think like religious people sometimes think they're. Like they're, I want to say like children, but like people who are different, <laughs> they 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 shun like society. It's different. They they don't they are not of the norm. So like the demonic possession, I think you've seen in all of the religions, real cases of it all over the world, and it's sad. It's very sad, and mm-hmm. I think we we have seen this in other dramas. We've seen this in other movies in other countries too, in other shows. And it's just, it's a sad occurrence that happens in real life when something, when someone does not go with the norm and whether they are purposely not going with the norm and they are need to be put in the place or they're mm-hmm. just different and they don't know why. In this case, right. that's the case where he's just different and mm-hmm. They don't know, understand it. They don't want to understand it. Right. And they want to put up the facade that they have a perfect community and he's the sore thumb. Mm-hmm. Like he's the one that stands out mm-hmm. and they can't really do anything about it. So they try to exercise it from him. It's quite uh, maddening, I think, for the, especially yeah. for the audience, because obviously we can't. <laughs> He can't do anything but watch this mayhem happen and this great injustice happen to this kid and see how it kind of wrecks him in the flashbacks where to the point where he's like, maybe I am possessed. And he thinks that maybe he is a monster and he starts seeing his father as this crazy apparition and just hallucinates his father. Or I don't know if it's a delusion at that point. It's just crazy how it's the townsfolk that kind of drive him further into like just being really yeah. messed up and yeah perhaps he was kind of a very passive <laughs> anti-social 
person uh, with the disorder. And then he kind of got worse maybe after this right. terrible exorcisms every three days. I don't, I mean, who's to say? I think it would have wrecked with even a perfectly sane person. So mm-hmm. it is very sad to see how it was the people around him that kind of drove him to the edge and to make that decision to take the blame for the death of the foreman and things like that. He was like, where, why would they believe us when we say that it was in self-defense or something that my sister did this in self-defense? They would never believe us. Our father is a known serial killer and Uh they think I'm, they think I'm possessed. Yeah. Why would they? Because I think, I think the big thing was like, I think there was a lot of things going against him, even if it was just, if it was just him being antisocial and him Mm. being weird that was enough for this, but then you add on the family history and the right. known serial killer. So then they automatically think, well, he must have inherited it. So mm-hmm. he's going to be a bad apple too. Like it doesn't right. far fall far from the tree type thing. Mm-hmm. And, and again, we see this type of thing in other dramas, especially when if like a parent or like you're related mm-hmm. to something bad, you end up going to be bad. It's a it's a common right. crime trope. Um, but that I think the reason why it's common is because it's compelling. Like, you always root yeah. for the guy to not be like the father, to not mm-hmm. be like how society views him. Right. Um, and so, yeah, the cards yeah. were already stacked against him. And it yeah. was just made worse by just a natural personality that he was born with. Right. And I got to be honest, thinking about it from a Western perspective, I would never in a million years think that a serial killer's son or daughter would also turn out to be a serial killer. That makes no sense in my mind. Mm. And in fact, I I guess the algorithm on TikTok like knew that I was watching Flower of Evil and I was maybe <laughs> talking about serial killers a little bit and out loud. And so it brought up this video of... Um, this serial killer's daughter and she was like i'm the daughter of a serial killer so and so and i'm gonna read this letter that my father sent me from jail because he's currently serving like i don't know how many life sentences for his killings and it was this like wild letter that she um, read aloud saying that he was innocent saying like that she was a whore because he found this photo of her on her wedding day obviously he was in in the penitentiary he couldn't go she never invited him never told him anything and she got this crazy letter from her dad like just kind of berating her and very manic and right. i found that so interesting to see this person kind of open up on social media of all places about this crazy experience that she had mm-hmm. and how it affects her and how she's kind of like a life coach or something now and i was like that is a really tough job to kind of coach people right through very similar circumstances as her own. And again, it not that every person who is the son or daughter of a murderer is going to be a life coach <laughs> later on in their lives, right. but you know, it is just interesting to see that the the siblings in this are really just fucked because of the serial killer that they had for a father. And right. at the end of the show, they're both like, we don't we don't really know who we are. Like, we don't know who our true selves are. So we should find out. Like, we should find out who we really are, who, what we want to do, what makes us happy. 
and just stick with that and forget all the rest of it move past this and i was like damn after 20 years now they're finally going to get started on Uh forgiving themselves and letting go of all of this trauma that has haunted them for all this time right which is another very sad and interesting part of the show is these two and their dynamic and how they move forward at the end um I think the other side of the spectrum, I guess, is the parents of the accomplice serial killer. Right. Who, you know, we get confirmation in episode three that Hyunsu's parents are not his real parents. He assumed this identity after getting run over by the car at night. He was robbed in the rain, all this shit. And the real son was comatose in a hidden closet in uh, yes. the surgeon's That reveal house. was epic. <laughs> Epic. I loved every second of it. Yo, that was episode (laughs) three, bro. That was early. And that was a really good reveal. I thoroughly enjoyed that. And now you know why nothing was revealed about his character. (laughs) So it was like, yeah, oh, you can't really say much about his character without spoilers. Yes, because the guy that's in the coma is Kim Dune, and he's the real Becky Sung. (laughs) And like, this comes back to bite them in a major way yes. because these parents have all of these altercations have all of this it's like really vague conversations between them mm-hmm. the surgeon is holding his wife kind of emotionally hostage and they're horrible horrible they people. are horrible people they're horrible, horrible to each other they're mm-hmm. he's there's this conversation that they have that i want to touch on they have this argument at the house in episode nine while the granddaughter is home and you know dr beck is constantly guilting his wife for feeling good because of whatever she did to their son it's not disclosed at this point what she did to their son who's comatose to make him a vegetable so and then he uh she says it's nice to smell good food again in the house because they don't cook at the house, which is a huge red flag in Korean culture that they don't cook at home and that they don't sit together and have dinners as families and shit. Mm-hmm. And he tries to gaslight her saying, your depression is flaring up again. You should go to the hospital. And no doubt he's just trying to medicate her into submission. And she's uh-huh. very combative here saying that he's the one who should feel guilty because basically he kept their son barely breathing for himself, not for the benefit of their son, that he wasn't there for any major accomplishment in his life, and that she just wants to live like everyone else, you know? And that if their son could talk, their son would ask that they kill him. And then he slaps her. Right. And that was like a kind of, you know, writing on the wall for me for these two. I know it's kind of late in episode nine because they were sketched throughout the show, but they are just so not redeemable. They are so far gone as parents and as a couple. They are just barely hanging on. And more the mom, the mom is just so neurotic and Mm -hmm. very emotional. She's constantly having outbursts and... I think I thought for the majority of the show that the husband was the serial killer's accomplice and that he was like the baby serial killer in this scenario. Mm -hmm. And the reveal that it's actually the son uh, was very surprising to me. I didn't think they were going to go that route at all. (laughs) 
Exactly. Yeah. What did you it was think beautiful. of that? It was beautiful. It was beautiful. The reveal, <laughs> the, the reveal like was like you just yeah. I definitely never thought that was going to happen. Um, I I thought it was interesting too because it wasn't only just Ijugi's character that is keeping up a facade yeah. and keeping secrets and whatever. It turned out like his entire family was family quotes air quotes family. Um, his sister was like there was a ton of people <laughs> whether covering for him or not were keeping right. up a facade and keeping secrets, which I thought was an interesting theme throughout this drama as a whole because there mm-hmm. was a ton of characters doing the same thing for various reasons. Um, but yeah, I absolutely love Kim Ji Hoon's reveal <laughs> in this, and like he was chef kiss villain in this drama. Like yeah. I loved him in this drama. He is a very juicy villain when he uh, yes. when he got going because I think it yes. wasn't until way later that they reveal, and it's the sister, right? I think it's uh, Lee Jung Gi's sister, that character played by. Uh, Jang Hee-jin. So she plays Dohesu, the sister. Dohesu, she shows up at the doc's house and says, oh, I need all this info from you about the volunteers at your hospital because I had this, I went under hypnosis and I remembered that there was like a a green uh, bracelet that he was wearing, whatever. And the mom is very nervous and she right. asked her the very last thing that she asked her, what is the, is there anything else that you noticed about the accomplice? And she said, well, her, the fingernails on his left hand were all nubbed up because it looked like he was a nail biter. But just his right. left hand. And they show this fucking dude in his wheelchair in the next room mm-hmm. biting his nails, his yeah. left hand nails. And then he looks at his nails and suddenly you see all these flashbacks on the screen right. of yeah. him in those scenarios as the accomplice. Yeah. Back well, in the then, day. Then you have that great reveal where he like all of a sudden gets up walking. Like, Oh my God. That was, that, that was, was another one. so good. Like, I almost think that was like, a better reveal was yeah, him like oh, being yeah, able totally. to walk. Like which is the darkness bullshit. of the house, the lightning, him going around the house, like stalking these people, and then you have like the digging in the backyard. Like, the digging in the backyard was, was very. Let's so talk good. about this. So <laughs> that was really the icing on the cake to me, um, because he goes the real scene. Ew, this is episode twelve, I think. The rainy night of him trying to bury Hyunsu in the front yard or backyard or something uh-huh. after he ran him over. Uh-huh. The mom has just found his box of souvenirs right. with all of these nails lined up in perfect rows. Yep. And he, she found it under his mattress. You're joking, right? Like there's not a <laughs> right. better place that he would exactly. hide that. It was <laughs> exactly. just under his mattress like a fucking porn stash. <laughs> and then she walks outside carrying the murder weapon that she found in the souvenir box Mm -hmm. sees him burying somebody in the backyard and he's just like oh hey you weren't supposed to be home right like period like no explanation yeah (laughs) yeah and uh, he's another guy that played creepy really well like just (laughs) 
really well. And again, yeah. it was a character I had never seen Kim Ji Hoon play, mm-hmm. never seen this side of his acting. Yeah. Which was awesome. Cause yeah, again, I had it issues was another with it. role. It was another role that like kind of again showed range, showed a different side. Okay. So I had issues with him. First of all, him burying the body in the front your backyard, whatever it was, which was in a shallow grave. That's a trope, though, of a crime thing. I was I literally mean- <laughs> like, this is the sloppiest fucking serial killer accomplice I've ever seen. And then she's well, the like, is, you're he burying him think- here? And he's like, yeah. where else did you think I was going to put him? And I'm like, I mean, I think that was else- a thing of his character, though. He didn't think he was ever going to get caught mm. because- one, he had all those souvenirs. He had been killing people for how many years at that right. point? His parents had this facade of being the perfect family, perfect whatever. They were never going to give him up for that. Like, right. even when he did end up in the coma, they got a new son. Like, they were never going to reveal <laughs> those secrets. So right. I think he knew that. He knew that he was he could do basically whatever he wanted. Right. Because, one, his parents were scared of him. Yeah, absolutely terrified of him. So they weren't ever going to confront him about but it then or they were do also anything. Allowing themselves to be manipulated by him because he was like, "Oh ma, appa," like doing the whole like yeah sob story, like you're going to protect me, right? Saying really yeah. manipulative things to them, and they're like, "Uh, I guess." Um, yeah, I think it was a combination of-, of fear, but also they they didn't want to give up what they had built themselves. I think mm. that, and I think he rode that out. He didn't yeah, want to. True. He didn't care. Because he had no empathy, but knew he was never going to get caught unless something happened in terms of the lives crumbling, which obviously it happens in this drama. But So my other issue with him is just a very nitpicky thing. Every time he was acting crazy, he had wonderful crazy eyes, but then he would open his mouth a lot. Like he would just like <laughs> drop his mouth. Why is your mouth open? Like, that was very confusing to me, that choice. (laughs) Just open his mouth with the crazy eyes. I was like, what is he waiting for here? It just looked a little weird. Um, Okay. I have a question for you because I don't know what what I'm supposed to take away here. So the the serial killer dad Mm -hmm. died 20 years ago or he was killed 20 years ago. So then only three years ago, the serial killer accomplice, our boy, ended up in a coma. So what happened for 17 years? Does that make sense? Yeah. I'm trying to remember. If I want... If I if I think that... I think the conclusion... I think he took over the killing. I think that was the conclusion we so came to. So there's more bodies, but then what? why was he... Why did he totally forget about the last victim, Minsook, who was alive in a, some asylum that the trafficker was paying for? Then that was what the catalyst was for him running over Ijungi. You know, you see where I'm saying, like, there's a gap of 17 years here. Then all of a sudden the trafficker is like, yeah, I got this girl, this like victim that you never finished off killing. And he was going to go pick her up from the trafficker, runs over Ijinki's character, ends up in a coma. And then now we're dealing with the after effects three years later. But I'm confused why they ne- he never went back for the victim. 
in 17 years? Well, I mean, he ended up in a coma. He couldn't. That was one. No, 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 but the coma was only for three years. Oh, my God. No, what am I talking about? I don't think so. The coma. So hold on. <laughs> because, okay, so him, bur- him, bu- him burying the body was when he hit hit the car. That was him driving back. <sighs> I got you. No, from, no, no. From, I'm or totally going wrong. to see the girl. I am totally, totally wrong. Because why would the coma only last three years? That doesn't make any sense. That doesn't make any sense. Because Hyunsu was, he sung for like 14 years. Right. So he, yeah, he was, when he hit Lee okay. Jun Gi's so character, he was going like, to. So the three so years. So he had is, the body in the trunk, I, right? Okay. Okay. No, no, right. no. So I got it backwards because it was. 20 years ago, the dad died. The serial killer dad died. Then three years later, he's dealing with the trafficker with the last victim. Right. And then they get, the guy gets run over, and then he gets in a coma for the next 14 years. Right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I had it totally backwards. I don't know what the yeah. fuck I was thinking. Okay, sorry. So, so he, never and mind. he had that body in the trunk when he hit him. So that was another thing. If I remember correctly, he had a body in the trunk, too. What? I think so. Or no. maybe it was Lee Jugin that he put in the trunk. No, no, no. The body that was in the trunk. <laughs> so I'll answer this one. The body that was in the trunk was the housekeeper that they murdered, like, in the last few episodes. The mute, deaf uh, housekeeper. Oh, yeah, because she found out. She right, found right, out. Right, and she right, was right, like, right. I'm going to tell on you guys if you don't pay me off. And then they killed her. Right. Yeah. And then they yeah. tried. They framed uh, Hyunsu for it, right? And that yeah. was like a whole another thing in the final few episodes, right? Oh man, so much happened. Yeah. But yeah, sorry, I don't know what I was thinking for that three years thing. So because wow. that's why there was a cold period in those murders, and then right, the reason, the whole reason why his wife started investigating the murders is because a new body showed up. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. That makes sense. <laughs> Man. And I had it too. I figured it out myself. Damn. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I like the flashback of them on their first date, like going back to the couple, uh-huh. which is early, like in episode four. Um, she says that everyone thinks they're already dating. And then he protests. He's like, no, I'm not interested in you. And she counters with, then why do you spend time with me on your day off? And they play rock, paper, scissors, loser stands in the rain. She pushes him into the rain and she starts giggling and like laughing. And he finds himself smiling back for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. And I just found that very, very cute, that interaction and his growing feelings for her, whether he realizes that they're growing feelings or not. Um, I was a little bit taken aback by a lot of times he was turning around to see the apparition of his father with the eyes completely black staring at him from across Mm -hmm. the street or from wherever. And I couldn't get a handle on it. I was like, is it the physical manifestation of his guilt or just a feeling that he doesn't deserve to be happy with a family history like that? Or is he just haunted by like his serial killer father who he was afraid of? Right. Um, I couldn't figure it out. It ended up being that he kind of got with her because she banished 
the operation of his father. Right. Yeah. So, like, what do you make of that? <laughs> I think, I mean, I think it was a combination of everything that you did. You just described, like, okay. he was never going to be able to get away from that, whether mm-hmm. the man was alive or dead. He was guilty about it. That was going to follow him for the rest of his life. Mm-hmm. Um, And for whatever reason, Muche could give him peace at least for a little bit from whatever that was haunting him Mm -hmm. and so i think it was somewhat of a like actually happening to his character where he was seeing this guy he was a little crazy Mm. he was being haunted whether it was a hallucination or not but his father but also it was kind of a metaphor of right his wife meeting her but also needing her in a way to Mm. be the anchor for reality Mm. and be able to live at least a normal life and get away from his past and his history i think it was kind of both it was right his own character but also a metaphor at the same time nice i have in my notes and i don't know who wrote this but i guess it was me she was the first person who believed in him and saw the best in him Loved him for all that he was and could be. She got rid of his dad lingering around him and allowed him to get some sort of closure, which is kind of what you said, too, about finding some measure of peace, which is really important for, I I mean, anybody, let alone this guy who's just right. been through so much. Right. <laughs> um, right. Yeah, I... I think there was a lot of K-drama-isms that kind of irked me throughout the show, like in episode seven you have this wonderful couple and she's struggling so much with her feelings for him. If she hates him, if she loves him, whatever. And she takes him back to his father's metalworking shop back in their hometown to try mm-hmm. and find some of Hyunsu's metalworking. That was the excuse. Right. And they end up back in the basement where the murders happened. Yeah. And she plays the cassette that supposedly triggers Hyunsu's manic episodes. Mm-hmm. According to the child psychologist, and he has a full on panic attack. Mm-hmm. He's constantly having panic attacks throughout the show. Yes. Yeah. And stuff like that was a little bit annoying to me because it just felt like this is pure like K drama because I don't feel like that's necessarily believable for her to like go out to the middle of nowhere. No one knows where they are. And mm-hmm she has suspicions of her husband being a murderer and still puts herself in this really compromising situation, (laughs) knowing better as a detective. And it's just like kind of all of these things just didn't match the way that her character was kind of smarter than that. I guess she was counting on her husband not being a murderer, which he wasn't, but I guess not retaliating in any sort of way for putting him in a situation that's very uncomfortable for anybody let let's consider that maybe he's just a normal guy and you take him back to the scene of his father's murders <laughs> like right it was just so problematic to me i don't know i think at that point she was also so desperate to get answers though and mm. yeah she was willing to do anything to trigger it I see. I mean, it, it to some extent he didn't know either. So like it was both her trying to figure this out 
and trying to figure out if he was a killer or if he had killed anybody in the past. But also having to deal with the fact that he didn't really know. Like, he didn't... Mm -hmm. He had been living this facade for so long that he kind of really kind of pushed stuff out of his Mm -hmm. mind. And you didn't really know what he was dealing with or what he was discovering again was real or not. So I think it was more of a... Yeah, it was to show, kind of move the plot forward, but I think it was also out of, like, desperation. Like, she Mm -hmm. didn't really know what to do and couldn't really discover any more clues or anything. So this was the way to, yeah, yeah, this was the way to hopefully move things forward and get some answers (laughs) that they both clearly wanted. I liked the confrontation, not confrontation, but the argument that they have in episode nine a lot better because here she's kind of resolved out of spite to keep him as keep him in this identity right and Mm -hmm. she tells him finally that her feelings have changed that you know if she started loving him for no reason then she can stop for no reason at all and Mm -hmm. that she knows her feelings best not him which is a particular jab because he was reading her moods and wants and needs for years right and she says that she hates him. And he's like, why? Why? Why do you hate me? If you hate me, why are you crying? Is I think what he says. And she says, oh, because she can't say everything she wants to say. And she vows that she's going to leave him. They're going to they're gonna break up. So it's, it's a breakup conversation. And right. she tries to just kind of leave and say, I'm going to work on this reopened case. And he like walks into the room and he's like, we're not done here. Like we need, you need to, we need to talk this out. And she realizes that she feels extreme empathy for the victims of the Yonju serial killings now because she's untethered from him. And then she realizes that she could get through all of these horrible things that she's witnessed as a detective because he made her life so wonderful at home. And she says, like, it was you. Like, you're the reason why I could have done this job forever. And I found that really profound. I like these kind of more real moments because I feel like this was way more grounded to have them washing dishes and then just her kind of overcome and say, you know, I want to break up. I hate you. And have all of these feelings bubble up within her. Uh And he's, of course, really affected you know, no matter what he says, like, I can't feel, I don't love her, swearing that he doesn't love her and all this stuff, that he's never loved her, and that he's kind of just with her to keep a tabs on the situation and manipulate things when he needs to. The reaction to this, something like this was very telling because he's like frantic. He doesn't know what to do. He doesn't want to right. be without her. And you see that he is extremely attached to her at the very least. Mm-hmm. And you just know inherently that he loves her, even though he doesn't realize it. Yeah. Yeah. So I like that scene And again, way I think that also speaks to he was he was also at a point where like he didn't know what he would do without again the anger mm-hmm. and how more like how much more he would spiral out of control if she wasn't there. Mm. Um, so I think that was also part of the desperation in that argument. Yeah, definitely. Desperation. 
Um, then he calls a meeting the next day with like the journalist Mujin and his sister about the marriage fight that he had. Right. And they're like, Mujin is basically like, he crudely says, oh, you should just win her back by getting her gifts and, you know, just tell her you love her and stuff and then she'll forgive you. And what he takes away is that he just needs to get her a gift that she really wants. And he goes, if I bring her the accomplice, she will be thrilled. That <laughs> right. he, he says this with like a sinister smile on his face and everyone in the room's a little bit like, oh, because <laughs> that's not the typical gift you give your wife when you have an argument. Mm-hmm. But he is... Again, not necessarily looking at this the way that he should, but right. I like this response. It's so unusual mm-hmm. for him to be like, oh, I'll get him like, I'll get her the serial, the real serial killer accomplice, and then we can make up. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Which is kind of like childish as well, like a very childish thought. You know, A to B equals C, whatever. But the sister <laughs> right. at this point says... She points out how much that he cares for Jiwon. And he agrees, like, oh, yeah, she's very important to me. And the sisters makes a distinction here. And she says, no, she's precious to you. What's important will eventually end up becoming less important after some time. But what's precious breaks your heart. Yeah. And I was like, fuck, like the sister always coming in with these like one liners. (laughs) Well, I think the thing, too, is, again, it's... um Like, he has always had to deal with trying to read people in terms of emotion, in terms of people's reactions, in terms Mm. of what is appropriate when dealing with society. And the sister hasn't. The sister never had to deal with what he had to deal with because she did not have the antisocial stuff. Right. Um, And I think that's also telling of their relationship is like they're very close granted the wife doesn't know about the sister for a long time for a long long time time. (laughs) um and i think in a way the sister is like his human connection Mm. to society before he met the wife right and so he has a very interesting relationship with her because she, as you just said, she has these one-liners that are like, no, you have to realize this is what this means, or no, mm-hmm. this is your reaction you should have to this situation, so on and so forth type thing. Mm-hmm. And I think she was the wife's role before he met the wife. Very, very good point. Yes, I agree with you. Real quick, let's talk about the sister now that we were already talking about her because I found her grating towards the end because all she seemed to do was be the damsel in distress in too many situations, if you get my meaning, where she was just kind of like not (laughs) like dead weight on the team, so to speak. Uh (laughs) And... She was obviously going through a long season of depression in her life, and the interactions that she kept having with the journalist Mujin mm-hmm. were so fucking annoying to me because <laughs> he has literally given 
the when he broke up with her cruelly in the past and was like, oh, yeah, you give me the creeps. Right. And invoked the serial killer father and was just like the townsfolk in shunning them. Right. That was a deep, deep cut on her. And she keeps bringing it up to him and he's trying to get her to forget it. <laughs> right. And he doesn't quite understand like what she's going through ever. And he is still insists on like cock blocking her every time she wants to do the right thing and say that she killed the foreman back in the day mm-hmm. and absolve uh, Hyunsu of all blame because he's continually taking the blame for her for that right. one murder. And every time he was like, oh, yeah, you can't you can't do this. Stop crying. He was just very tone deaf when it came to her trauma. And even when he goes over to, like, see her house and the way she lives, she lives in the dark. She doesn't have – she doesn't change the light bulb. She didn't know it was out. She just doesn't doesn't live a life in the light. And he intends to – he has good intentions by trying to fix her life, essentially, and, like, change the light bulb and bring her a new lamp so that she's not living in darkness. And she's – it's like this. these are like superficial ways to fix depression, if you get my meaning. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you can even fix her depression. Right. And it felt very childish for him to kind of it's, – it's like someone's like, I have no money to buy food. And he's like, okay, I'll get you like McDonald's for one right. meal. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, that's not going to fix the issue. <laughs> right. In fact, did you even hear what I said? <laughs> right. So I um, was very unsympathetic toward his puppy puppy love that he had toward the sister mm-hmm. and honestly couldn't fathom how he could still love her after 20 years. <laughs> that I was like an that. issue to mm-hmm. me too. That like, mm-hmm. Of course he's still in love with her after 20 years. It's like another K-dramaism. <laughs> right. Um, yeah she was like okay it's been 20 years get over it and i'm like yes preach girl like tell him get over it so i feel like he was definitely at fault for so much of it and threw a lot of stones at her and like didn't acknowledge he was like i'm not gonna apologize for something that i did and i was like you should (laughs) you should apologize to her yeah i mean i think I think she was an interesting character because she lived with guilt herself. I mm-hmm. mean, she dealt, she lived with what she did to her brother. Like, her mm-hmm. brother taking the blame for that affected his life for the rest of his life. And then she felt that guilt because they couldn't see each other for a very long time. She, like, somewhat got to live a more normal life than he did mm-hmm. due to him taking the blame for it and whatever. So she already was kind of punishing herself for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. And I agree with you. I didn't particularly like the reporter and how he went about yeah. the relationship and like whatever but i think his role was also to show that 
okay, enough was enough. Like, she was punishing herself for 14 years, 15 years. Mm. And I think he he played well because the brother thought the same thing. The brother did not think she it was warranted that she should punish herself for 16 years. She also agreed that she shouldn't go off running and putting herself in these situations, too. So I think he was trying to support Yugi's character's perspective. Um, mm. But also just trying to show that, girl, you, you punished yourself long enough. Like, uh-huh. it, everything's going to come out. Everything's going to change. You can't really stop it at this point. Stop blaming th- yourself. <laughs> There's a, a part of the journalist Minsu that he... He doesn't want to think that she can do anything bad as bad as murdering somebody. And so every time she brings up the murder, he's kind of like, oh, yeah, but it's, you know, whatever. Like, he's kind of doesn't want to deal with it. Uh-huh. And at one point towards the later episodes, she's set on going in and, and confessing to her crime. And he right. says that he'll le- only let her go if she feels guilty for killing the foreman. Then that's a different story. Then, of course, she can go. Uh, confess to her crime and she goes guilty (laughs) why would I feel guilty and then she starts explaining that the foreman was the one that forced the brother to have the exorcisms every three days and inciting the village neighbors and messing up Mm. her brother in the head so that he started seeing all these phantasms of the father and believing he was a monster and that essentially Minsu knows absolutely fucking nothing about the situation. So, like, what does he has? What say does he have? Nothing. <laughs> he shouldn't have any say in what she does. Yeah, I think and- that both of I think both of the like both the sister and the brother want to protect each other. Yeah, for yeah. various reasons. And yeah, I think yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I was very unsympathetic toward journalist Minsu. Well, I think it was just it, it. I think it also came down like, yes, he was needed for the plot and for that relationship with Ijungi and all that stuff. But could the plot have done been the same without him at the same time? I think it was his characterization and the way that he was portrayed as this lovesick kind of dude who would do anything for the sister, really hated the brother, and was shoehorned into being a sidekick in this trio trying to solve this crime alongside the cops who were kind of running in opposite directions sometimes, both of these groups. And he didn't want to deal at all with Hyunsu. He didn't like him at all. He didn't want to understand him at all. And in a a sense, he didn't want to understand the sister either. He just wanted to put her on a pedestal and keep her like this perfect vision that he's had for 20 years. And nothing about her now and her persona now fit with his image of her, which was a problem to me. So... It's like he didn't really want her. He just, I mean, he just, I hate to say this, but he just liked the idea of her. Yeah, I, yeah, I would say, I would agree with that. Yeah. So it's not okay. I felt like that was not okay. So if they had written him a little bit different, I mean, I guess this is more interesting to talk about, but I I don't, I don't like it at all. It just left a bad feeling in my mouth, in my, well, 
bad taste in my mouth, <laughs> bad feeling in my heart. <laughs> right, right. Because mouths don't have feelings. Okay. <laughs> the, <laughs> the caregiver's murder, they frame Hyunsu. Um, she goes, the wife goes to arrest Hyunsu at their house. And I didn't understand this. This was like episode 13 or so. Because she all of a sudden does feel like she needs to bring him in. Why? Why is she now trusting all of that all of their detective work will clear his name? It didn't make sense when she was really avoiding him going to confess his identity, going to confess any sort of crime, going in for questioning. She was like avoiding this at all costs. And now she's like, you got to come in and handcuffs him. And he has this horrible flashback of his father saying love is a very sly feeling. It's really cunning. It gives you an illusion that it can solve everything, then leaves an acute sense of betrayal in the end. In time, if you feel the urge to trust someone, that means you're becoming weak. And he goes fucking off the rails. Like he, uh-huh. That's when he holds a knife to her throat and it's this whole thing. Um, He... I think this was important that he asked her, do you even believe me that I didn't right. do this murder, that I'm not this murderer? And she's just like, what? And never says, no, I I don't think that you did all this. I totally believe you. I'm on your side. And he, that's when he like really just loses it. And he's like, I'm never going to trust anyone again and puts a knife to her throat. And it becomes this weird hostage situation where she like wants to go with him <laughs> and they end up at this hotel room to like call the trafficker and all this shit goes down i wanted a little more that he stuck to his guns and was truly against her at that point but that wasn't the case at all it was just kind of for show for the cameras and for the cops to believe that you know she was actually taken and all this shit i wanted a little more stakes because it was just fleeting mm-hmm. I had a question, though, because they were in a hotel room. They left with nothing but the clothes on their back from the house. And they were handcuffed to each other. So how the hell did they get a laptop in there to record and take notes on the interaction they had with the trafficker on the phone? I was very confused by this. This is the, the, You're talking about the sister in him? Or you're talking about the wife in him? No, the wife in him end up at a hotel and she because they're handcuffed together by this time right 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 and they call the trafficker to try to set up a deal and where do they get the this there's like suddenly they have a laptop (laughs) (laughs) i'm I'm genuinely confused (laughs) i don't remember okay it's okay it's okay. Episode 15, we're getting to the end. Hyun Sung, I think is his name. Mm-hmm. The real villain. Yeah, He Sung, sorry. He Sung ends up back at the basement lair and he sniffs the air. Do you remember this? He sniffs the air and he's like, <sighs> like he smells something good. And it's just b- dead body smell, like old blood stench mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. the basement. And everyone's commenting on, oh, it smells like heavily of blood in here. And it's really disgusting. He smells it and he's like, ooh, yeah. <laughs> Good right. shit. Right. <laughs> it's disgusting. It's awful. Um, But the point where he tells him he killed his wife, mm-hmm. I think, is another pivotal moment. Because, you know, he's desperate. He calls the police station to confirm. This whole scene 
of him freaking out because he thinks that the serial accomplice, serial killer accomplice killed his wife, killed Jiwon, was very Romeo and Juliet. Because, the, I mean, it was like a miscommunication. Obviously, she's not dead. It's just a ruse. And it was, he even had like a, I defy you stars moment when he's crying and doubled over. Like he just resolves to, to kill him, to kill the, the guy. Our yeah, boy. To, uh, to kill, to kill Kim Ji. Thank you. Kim like they Jihoon. had that epic fight in the, in the basement. Yeah. They had the fight in the basement. Then he gets out and starts chasing him through the woods. Right. With a mm. knife and slicing him up whenever he sees him. Right. And one thing that I thought was weird was Kim Jun's character was like, you crazy psycho. And I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> That's like the pot calling the kettle black. Like it's Right. But I mean, it, in all reality, Kim Ji-hoon never thought he was a psycho. He enjoyed Never it. thought he was like, a psychopath. Like he never, he, he enjoyed, like he, he just did not real, like he thought he was untouchable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so the fact that Lee Jun-gi is fighting back, is chasing him, is hurting mm-hmm. him, is like not really having the upper hand, but like potentially having the upper hand, that never occurred to ever happen to him. Like he mm-hmm. never thought that would happen. <laughs> I somewhere in between that he was like, I'm going to win no matter what, even if you become a killer just like your dad, and even if you leave me to enter the system and spend the rest of my life in prison, like, I win. Mm-hmm. Somewhere inside that, and the caged last victim, Minsook, actually begging our boy Ijungi not to kill the serial killer. Right. <laughs> to t- Telling the OG serial killer to run because right. he was going to get slaughtered. Mm-hmm. By this very upset husband. Right. Like, somewhere inside there, I was like, this is weird. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> but, like, what the victim is telling the the guy to run, like, the person that was uh, going to, to kill, kill her. Him. Yeah. I think it comes down to the fact that they didn't want Lee Jun-gi to turn into the person everybody thought he was going to be. Right. I think right. they just, it just, he had fought for so long 15 years or so to not be the kid the village thought he was going to become and not become his father and not become everything people were saying he was going to so to be in a moment where he potentially could do that and could kill somebody and could make what those Mm -hmm. predictions come to fruition Mm-hmm. Kim Moon Jin did not want to see that in front of him. Like, did not want to see that happen. Did I mean? I think he could tell that Hyunsu was like breaking. Like he was desperate, and whether and in that moment, that was the only way out for him. Like he potentially had to kill this person who was a trying to kill Moon Jin, which he obviously didn't want to happen, but also potentially trying to kill him. And I mean, I think I remember him threatening to go after his daughter and his wife too. Like, well, in that moment when he's like, "Oh yeah, gloating that he killed his wife," right? He says, 
I left your daughter alone. I wouldn't I wouldn't stoop that low. And I right. was like, well, hold on. Your <laughs> your levels of stooping are way skewed because right. <laughs> to me, you've stooped as low as you can go, homie. Yeah. So uh, I think I think him hearing that his wife is dead broke him. Because oh, yeah, absolutely. he was so desperate for the 13, 14 episodes to not have that happen. Yeah. And have her leave and have her discover the secret. So that desperation of potentially... He essentially thought he killed his wife. He thought he was like, it was my fault. It's, oh. my, it's my doing that she is now dead because I've lived this facade for... 15 years and hid all these secrets and this guy I took this guy's identity and now he was on the revenge path to get back at me and kill everything I love and now that she's dead he won so I have nothing to lose Mm. granted he has the daughter but like he wasn't thinking like that like his anchor died Mm. so he had nothing to keep him sane anymore. And I think Moonjin also knew that too. Like he knew, oh God, she's dead. That is not good because he has nothing keeping him sane anymore. Right. Do you mean Minsog, the the victim that was in the cage? Yeah, Minsog, okay. sorry. I, I don't okay. know why I keep saying Moonjin. Moonjin is the journalist. So then yeah, I, the, I don't know why okay. I keep saying the journalist. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, in my notes I have, we have here a descent into madness with him hunting the accomplice, Hyunsung, all through the woods. He sees his father walking ahead and follows his path, which is very on the nose. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you, uh, I don't know. There's like a nuance went out the door for the last couple of episodes. <laughs> like, I don't know. It just was too easy. I don't know. I think, well, I think that was one. Is like, one, I mean, obviously the writers knew they were going to do the amnesia thing in episode 16. (laughs) So there was only so much episodes they had. We didn't know at the time, but there was a timeline they need to meet in order for all of that to happen. Um, I think it also showed the descent into madness that Lee Joon-gi's character was doing. Um, and slipping and having, I mean, granted, we saw that timeline throughout the entire drama, but the closer you got to the end, the more that was being revealed, crumbling away, hallucinations were getting worse and worse, that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. So I think it seemed rushed because I think Lee Jung-gi's character was sort of being bombarded at the same mm. time. I like that. Okay, I'm going to go with that and kind of cut it a little bit of slack, but I was, I'm was i still a little bit like... Mm, I understand. It. I understand. Yeah. yeah. I do think that I've come to the end of my notes. I have the closing uh, quote from... Who do I have? Who is this? I think it's the sister. So the sister's in jail. Do you want the wife goes Ugh. to see her? And the sister says, since I met you, I've come to believe one thing. The pain we're experiencing right now is just a step we need to go through to accept more things later on in life. But I still hope you feel less pain. (laughs) And I was like, that's very 
just like she's like the guru of this show (laughs) despite having her own issues she seems to have a good grasp on life and this final quote is really nice i feel yeah to kind of wrap up everything that you know the pain now is just a step in the direct the positive direction that later it's not going to matter and you know, I hope you feel less pain. <laughs> well, I think she, yeah, I think she was talking, like, yes, it was said towards the sister, which was very... Well, it was mm, the sister that said it toward the wife or, that you won. Yes. I think I think the sister said it to the wife, which at the moment the wife needed to hear. Mm. I think at the same time, it was that quote, was a common thread that a lot of characters needed to hear throughout this drama. Including herself. <laughs> yeah. Including herself. Um, so she probably right. was talking to herself at some point as well by saying I agree. That. Yeah. I agree. All right. Do you have I also want to talk like to okay. I do oh, want to yeah. say oh, for sure. so one of the <laughs> best scenes that I loved was the whole pool scene. Did you like that pool scene? I love okay. the pool scene. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we come full circle with that one because I think that's the intro scene. Yeah, for that the was pretty. Show. It was pretty much like I. Th- I think it was episode four or five. Yeah, it happened it, when it actually happened within the the timeline of the show. Right was um, I think yeah, like episode. Six seven or something no four early i see it was early it was early yeah four yeah i love that (laughs) i liked i liked one i always i was like man he's doing like i don't know how i mean obviously it's not like he was under the water for the entire scene like they're obviously gonna be like (laughs) shooting but like just the the way they shot it he was doing his own little stunt thing in the water the wife going in to save him the desperate attempt to revive him like that Mm -hmm. type of thing i love that whole action scene with both her and the husband but also with the the cops that came with her and the fighting that happened with that yeah there's well. like fighting one guy gets shanked um yes. the taxi driver dies because yeah. he's the one that kidnapped him there's a lot of extraneous characters that are somehow related to the cases and the victims and the taxi mm-hmm. driver was like one of them i really like the pool scene i thought it would happen later in the show because of course you have this intro scene and you're kind of waiting for this almighty pool scene to happen it happens so super early in the show right at the end of episode four and that's his first brush with death and right i mean he survives he was also in a coma after that one yeah too (laughs) i think i think what was i think what i liked about that scene so much too was it was like our first real clue on how crazy this show could get and would get because i think it happened so early on because like the back end of this drama is just absolutely nuts and bonkers (laughs) and like secret being revealed after secret and like all these stuff you have a guy that was in a coma for 17 years getting (laughs) up and walking yeah you know regular stuff and i think that's why i like the scene so much because it was a really early like it was mm-hmm. entertaining. It was a gotcha. crazy scene. It was 
kind of a clue of how crazy this show could get and would get. Mm-hmm. Um, it well, was, I think it is an it was also a set piece. With, well, that and also when you were speaking earlier of like they had tropes, but it like turned the trope on the head. It wasn't the wife in the water. It wasn't right. <laughs> like it wasn't she another wife cop being saved or a puppy dog cop being shanked or whatever. It was the older gentleman being shanked while the puppy dog cop was coming in and trying to save him. Like I loved the reversal of roles and that as well. Got you. Yeah, um, and the puppy dog cop kills the serial killer accomplice right. at the end of the show as well. He's the one right. that shoots him dead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not the seasoned, experienced, hard-headed, right. I- instinct-driven cop who was yeah. um, actually, that dude was in Vincenzo as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing was- I do say at the end where the um, where Kim Ji-hoon's character like gets the gun off the cop and like shoots Uh, that was one scene where i was like come on really yeah yeah like this was the worst like takedown that they could have done i I mean honestly i did think they would fall off the cliff i thought they were i thought they were gonna go that direction for a while i thought that once the cop showed up and there was all of this tension what was gonna break the tension was the serial killer accomplice throwing him off the cliff right or going because both was, of them over. Yeah. True. That's what I yeah. thought was going to happen. Yeah. I thought Truly, both of them that's were going to go over. That's what I thought, Oh, too. okay. So we both had the same insect. Never happened. Yeah. Someone gets shot. <laughs> yeah. I did not think... I did not think that... I mean, I knew something was going to happen in that scene. I did not predict how it played out. But... Because, <laughs> again, that was episode 14. Like, you had two more episodes... 14, 15. I was like... There's too much in this story. There's something else that has to happen with this. So, I mean, I knew that wasn't going to be the end or anything like that. We have some serious qualms with the pacing of the last three episodes. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, yeah. (laughs) But still, you would recommend this show. Oh, absolutely. It was a fun ride. Like, (laughs) definitely, definitely would recommend this show. Got you. Got you. Fair. I think I would recommend it, too. I think it's... It's kind of old school in the way that it's set up, but then you have a lot of role reversals and in a lot of the same tropes, and it's it's fun and wild and kind of deep on certain levels. The relationship's really something to behold, and uh-huh. uh, acting is really good. I don't know. I don't know if I would ever watch this again, truly. <laughs> I would. I probably would. Yeah. Yeah. Cause, but this is your genre as well. I don't think yeah, this is necessarily my. I mean, it also is genre. very telling when multiple countries are planning on remaking it too. That's true as well. So. What was the most recent one that said they were going to remake it? Uh, was it well, India said it. India. India, India definitely did it, and I think Philippines just announced too. I want to say, or they already <laughs> did it, something like that. Oh my god! I know at least two countries said they were redoing it. Would not be surprised if America said it. Okay, so we have to come back together to review Flower of Evil Philippines (laughs) edition (laughs) when it gets released. Oh, man. Okay. Caitlin, is there anything else you'd like to say? We've been here over two hours. Is there anything else you'd like to say about Flower of Evil? (laughs) Well, I mean, we've been here for two hours. I think we had said enough. I I could go on about it, though. You could. Oh, God. I'm okay, like, well. good. <laughs> but we need to stop somewhere. <laughs> no, no. But like, 
talk to us on social media. I think we can continue this conversation on a, on a one-on-one for a lot of people who have more to say or want to talk to Caitlin about whatever else she has to talk about. Flower. I'm just so entertained by the fact that you have more to say possibly. Yeah. But um, yes, please contact us at ATC Devapod and Caitlin, your handle is at no sleep for the number four dramas. And you are very active on Twitter as well. Am yes. I right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So is it fair to say you interact more on Twitter than on Instagram? Um, No, I'm pretty much the same on both. Okay. I, I will I will interact so with whoever. Whatever platform you feel more comfortable on Twitter or Instagram, Caitlin is all here ready to talk about Flower of Evil. And so am I to a certain extent. <laughs> I think I left it all on the dance floor, so to speak. Um, Thank you so much, Caitlin, for coming and talking at length about Flower of Evil and being game to to do this, ride this thing again, Caitlin. (laughs) Thank you. Anytime, anytime. (laughs) I love talking about stuff, so. Yes, this was good. This was entertaining. All right, we're going to get out of here. That's been our show. I'm Jessica, and this has been ATC Presents Deba K. Rambles Podcast. 아침 널 기억해 밤하늘 별들의 길처럼 빛났었지 아무 방향 없이 마른 공기를 매던 내게 와주어서 어쩌면 잘못된 선택일 몰라 그 미안해 이야기의 끝이 어디일지 몰라도 가야만